Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Thanks for listening to the show. To support the podcast and letter, get lots of member-only features and follow Mike and Karina behind the scenes, go to aletterfromireland.com forward slash plus. That's aletterfromireland.com forward slash plus. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, this is Mike Collins. You're very welcome to the Letter from Ireland show. Now, today's episode is called... Did your Irish ancestor live through this terrible time? And you might guess that the terrible time I'm talking about is on Moor, the Great Hunger, the Irish Famine, from the mid-1840s all the way there, probably to about the end of the late 1840s. However, that's the official multi-year crop failure that led to that particular famine. But it resonated down through many, many years following that. In fact, the population of Ireland declined in many places all the way through to 1970, believe it or not, and uh, in many places has never re- returned, in fact, to the populations that it had in 1841 or thereabouts previous to the Irish famine. Now, a lot of that, of course, was kicked off not just because of the immediate debts surrounding the famine of the time, but also to do with the immediate emigration and after that, the chain migration that would have taken place to many places around the world from the mid-1840s onwards. So that's going to be our focus today, but we're going to take a very, very particular angle on the Angortamore, the Irish famine, because we're going to start off with a particular letter that focuses on a group of people that would have existed at a very, very basic level previous to the Irish famine in a very particular type of, you could say, mud cabin in effect on a very small patch of land. And as a result, a lot of these people, and they were a very great amount of people, went undocumented in the records in many, many situations. So Karina's going to start by reading and talking about that particular group of people in our first letter this morning. We're then actually going to move on to the second letter, one I wrote about my own family, but Karina is going to read, and it's called Did Your Irish Ancestors Live Through This Terrible Time? And uh, I'll talk a little bit more about it a little bit later, but um, essentially I came across an account of a group of people, a family, group of families in fact, that were come across during the Irish famine, and... Um, it stopped me in my tracks. You know how sometimes an account like that can stop you in your tracks? Uh, whereas in this case, it was because it was talking about my own immediate ancestors. So essentially, uh, you'll hear when Queen starts to talk about the situation and the circumstances, how again, these people were living in houses that were very much what you might call fourth class houses or kind of those mud cabins of the time. No windows or anything like that. And uh, they weren't really expecting to stay inside for any length of time. But of course, if you're sick or extremely sick, you find yourself doing just that. So that's the second letter that Queen has got to read this morning. We have three pieces of music for you. And there's a particular theme around emigration in this music, because I suppose it was that famine on Gorton Moor that triggered so much emigration from Ireland at the time. 
And in some ways, it was those people who emigrated and made their way in the world that started to support and help back those people back in Ireland to lift them out of poverty and a lot of misery in a lot of situations. Um, so we're going to focus on a piece of music that actually look at emigration. And we're going to finish it up, I hope, with an optimistic piece of music. It's not all down uh, through this particular episode. But we're going to start with this particular piece of music, which is from the Wolf Tones. And it's an old immigrant folk song, and it's called Spansel Hill. Last night as I lay dreaming Of pleasant days gone by My mind being bent on rambling To Ireland I did fly I stepped on board a vision And I followed with the wind Till first I came to Wang at the cross at Spansel Hill It been on the 23rd of June The day before the fair When Ireland's sons and daughters And friends assembled there The young, the old, the brave and the bold Came their duty to at the parish church near Clooney, a mile from Spansel Hill. I went to see my neighbours, to see what they might say. The old ones were all dead and gone, the young ones turning grey. I met the tailor Quigley, he's as bold as ever still. He used to mend my bridges when I lived in Spansel Hill. I took a flying visit to my one and only love. She's as white as any lily, as gentle as a dove. She threw her arms around me, saying, Johnny, I love you still. She's the farmer's daughter, the pride of Spansel Hill. I dreamt I held and kissed her as in the days of old. Saying, Johnny, you're only joking, as many's the time before. But the cock, he crew in the morning, he crew both loud and shrill. I awoke in California, many miles from Spansel Hill. I'm often contacted by readers on the Letter from Ireland 
who are surprised that so few records exist for their Irish ancestors. Sometimes the records have been lost in fires and so on, but sometimes the reason is because a record was never taken in the first place. So today I'd like to chat about a substantial group of people who lived under the radar, so to speak, when it came to record keeping of all kinds in Ireland. If you go back to the 1800s in Ireland, there were just a few individuals owning land. The majority of people in the countryside were tenant farmers. However, there was also another substantial number of people without any tenancy rights at all. This group of people has become to be known as the Cottier Group, C-O-T-T-I-E-R. Today, I'd like to have a look at Cottiers in one particular county, County Cavan. We're going to look at how they were all but extinguished by the horrific events of the multi-year famine in the mid-1840s that we know today as the Great Famine, or as we say in Irish, on Gertha Moor, the Great Hunger. I was reading an article recently by Kieran O'Reilly of Maynooth, and he spoke of this cottier class that was prevalent in Ireland before the Great Irish Famine of the 1840s. The cottier class, and the word comes from cottage, were a landless form of farm labourers who relied on receiving a little patch of land for a more, from a more established tenant farmer, and this was in exchange for services for a season, and that often was 200 days of labour. The cottier and his family were given land typically on an 11-month basis. This, of course, bypassed their legal rights to tenancy. Sometimes a cottage already existed on the land that the cottier could use, but more often than not, a simple cottage was constructed of local stone and sods. This, of course, was a temporary dwelling that was only really meant to last for a season or two. How did the cottier survive? Well, the typical 200 days of labour was only in exchange for the piece of land they received for the year and maybe a cottage if they were lucky. So the cottier mostly relied on potatoes planted on the land around the cottage for food. In addition, the cottier's family relied on traditional cottage industries, such as weaving and flax dressing for monetary income. However, and unfortunately, the demand for these products went into decline in the decades following the end of the Napoleonic War in 1815, and, of course, with the start of mass production. This worsened the situation for the cottier and their families, as they now had to rely only on the subsistence farming of potatoes in return for labour to a particular farmer, so there was no longer any money in their lives. The nature of their existence also meant that the majority of this class did not appear on many land records of the early 1800s, or indeed in church, baptismal, marriage or death records. It is estimated too that there were 27 annual potato crop failures between 1700 and 1840s. While the cottier was strong enough to survive any single annual crop failure over that time, 
They did not have the resources to survive the multi-year potato crop failure that arrived in Ireland in the 1840s. And as a result, this whole group of people became more or less extinct following on Gortha Moor or the Great Famine. O'Reilly believes that on the eve of the Great Famine in the 1840s, a third of the population of County Cavan was made up of this cottier class. As a group, they were affected disproportionately by the events of the Great Famine, and so in turn was the population of County Cavan. Some were lucky enough to climb up a rung and establish themselves as tenant farmers or agricultural labourers. Many more had to scrape together the means to emigrate to the cities of England, Scotland or further afield. In the census of 1841, taken a few short years before the famine, the majority of the residents of County Cavan lived in fourth-class houses. These were typically single-room cottages with minimum windows and sod roof and walls. The average farm size at the time was seven acres. By the time of the 1851 census, the number of fourth-class houses in County Cavan had decreased by 80%. The majority of the occupiers of this class of house were the cottiers, agricultural labourers and the smallest of tenant farmers, who all suffered the effects of Ungartha Moor the most. While these years proved catastrophic across the entire island of Ireland, the population of County Cavan declined from 243,158 during the 1841 census to 174,000 in 1851, and it had plummeted all the way to 53,000 by 1991. This decline was a direct result of the effect of the famine in the area and subsequent chain migration over the following decades. The county population has still only recovered to 81,000 as of 2022, very far off that earlier population high of 240,000. I wonder if any of your Irish ancestors belonged to this cottier class before they emigrated from Ireland. For myself, the story of this group of people helps me realise just what our shared ancestors had to overcome to simply survive and how much we have to be thankful for today. Our ship, she is ready to sail away And it's come my sweet comrades o'er the stormy sea Our snow white wings are all unfurled And soon we'll swim in a watery world Don't forget love Do not grieve For my heart is true And cannot deceive My hand and heart I will give to thee So farewell my love And 
remember me Farewell, sweet Dublin's hills and braes To Kaliny Mountain's silvery streams Where many's the fine long summer's day We loitered hours of joy away Don't forget, love, do not grieve For my heart is true and cannot deceive My hand and heart I will give to thee So farewell, my love, and remember me Now I must bid a long adieu To Wiglow and its beauties too Avoca's vales where lovers meet There to discourse in absence sweet Don't forget love Do not grieve, for my heart is true and cannot deceive. My hand and heart I will give to thee. So farewell, my love, and remember me. Sweet Dalgany, likewise that land, the Dargal waterfall, and then the lovely scene surrounding Bray shall be my thoughts when far away. Don't forget love. Do not grieve, for my heart is true and cannot deceive. My hand and heart I will give to thee. So farewell, my love, and remember me. That was The Emigrant's Farewell there, beautifully sung by Mirren Nicolive. And in fact, if you were to anglicise her name, it would be more about, uh, thereabouts, uh, Marion McAuliffe. And uh, before that, we had Corina telling us all about the Cotier class back in Ireland, mostly previous to the Great Famine on Gorta Moor. And we're going to continue on with that theme now uh, when Corina reads a recent letter of mine. I say it's a recent letter of mine because it's about my own family. And again, it was about a moment in time when I came across an account that led me very much back to a terrible point in time, but certainly it connected with me viscerally because it was about my own ancestors. Uh, I know the place, I know the people more or less, and uh, the people in question would be the grandparents of my own grandmother. So uh, over to you, Karina, and this letter is called, Did Your Irish Ancestors Live Through This Terrible Time? Nowadays, we typically learn of the past through history books and documentaries, but we still have a strong oral tradition here in Ireland. 
The values we hold and the skills we learn are most often passed down through conversations with our parents and grandparents. Today I'd like to chat about just how far we can jump back in history when we have an opportunity to talk with one of our grandparents. From grandparent to grandparent. My own life and that of Mary Ellen O'Regan, my paternal grandmother, overlapped by about 20 years. Although we shared each other's presence during that time, she was a quiet woman who rarely spoke without a need. However, her routine, actions, hospitality and care towards others made up for her sparse use of words. The kind of person she was was shown in how she went about her day. I was looking through her family tree recently and I noticed that the first 20 years of her own life also overlapped with that of her paternal grandfather, Dennis O'Regan. She spent time with her grandfather, listened and observed, just as I must have had with her. Here now was a living link that brought me back all the way to Ireland of the 1820s, a time when Dennis was born. Who knows what mannerisms and habits of his I still have in me today because of this link. Dennis was born and lived in the townland of Kilbrenogue to the west of County Cork. He lived among other O'Regan families, the majority of whom were his extended family. He married Bridget and they built their own cottage and started a family of their own close to relatives. They married, I noticed, in the year 1846. This was the eve of the Great Famine in Ireland, known in the Irish language as Ungartha Moor, the Great Hunger. How this terrible event shaped the lives and attitudes of my O'Regan grandmother and her grandparents, I'll never know. Like many other terrible things that happened in our lives, it was never spoken about. I just know that it must have shaped who they were. It must have shaped who I am. The Real Horror of the Great Hunger Three years ago, I came across an account of the time written in 1847 in an attempt to raise public awareness of the catastrophe that was occurring here. Ireland, of course, at that time was part of the United Kingdom. It was a very difficult account to read. The writer decided to name real locations and family names to help humanise the victims and offer them some dignity. However, this happened to make it even more difficult for me to read. You see, the names in the article included many O'Regan families and the setting was the townland of Kilbrenogue in County Cork. They were writing about my own grandmother's grandparents and their relatives. Here are some extracts from that letter. When we arrived at Kilbrenogue and we met the Roman Catholic priest of the parish, Mr. Barry, and he also kindly proposed to go with me and give me any information in his power, I asked Mr. Barry to point out to me the most distressed houses. He said, in every direction, it is all the same. In the third house, Regan's, 
Here I heard the groaning of a sick and I was told a dying man. The place was so dark I did not go in far. Eight in family, pictures of death. Two girls and a young child said they had eaten nothing all day. Mr Barry said that this man had been a decent farmer. Nearby was the house of Philip Regan. He had died and the widow was dying. Three children had died and she was awfully swelled. Next door was the house of Charles Regan. Of 11 family members, only three now remained. We had met the woman of this house on the road and she accompanied us to most of the houses. When we arrived at her cabin, she said, I have within a fine young man of 19 years of age and you could carry him in the palm of your hand. I entered and saw a bundle of skin and bone naked and partly wrapped up in a blanket sitting by the fire. The mother said, Sir, we have no sickness but hunger. I had seen enough. These houses were not all in a row but scattered in the fields and along the roadside. I did not pass a single house. Turning around, I said to Mr. Barry, the Roman Catholic curate, Are the houses I see lower down as bad? He said, They are, sir, and all along the place. They are, in fact, worse below. It is more populous. I have come from a house there in which I saw two stretched. The writer of the article then went on to make an appeal. I solicit free contributions of personal service from intelligent and devoted men. Money, I know, will be required to keep such men at work, but we want men now to make the money which we have worked in the most effective manner for the preservation of the lives of the people. This was an account of just one family group in one townland in one county on the island of Ireland in 1847. This year later became known as Black 47 and for good reason. Somehow the O'Regan families of Kilbrenogue survived through this terrible ordeal, but many of their family members died and still more emigrated. The population continued to decline in the area until around 1970. So here's to my grandmother, Mary Ellen O'Regan and her family and all the families around Ireland just like them. Somehow they survived and endured. If I was to sit beside my grandmother today, I would say nothing. Just look her in the eye, squeeze her hand, and return one of her warm smiles. She knows what she and her family have been through, and now I know.
just love that version of that particular song the west's awake there and it's sung by the uh, female voices of lumiere absolutely perfect together and damien dempsey there in the mix as well so that's a song in fact that goes all the way back to probably well it must have been previous to the famine actually because it was written by a man called thomas davis who was um born in mallow in the north of county cork And he died, in fact, at a young age of 30 in 1844, just on the eve of the Great Famine in Ireland. Um, He was a member of the Young Irelanders, basically. He was a Protestant himself, had a a Welsh father who died, I believe, just a number of months before he actually um, was born there in Mallow. And um, he basically had a vision 
of, I suppose, an independent Ireland, actually, and a place where both Protestant and Roman Catholics could coexist. And that was very much the vision of Young Ireland movement at the time. I suppose that changed changed over subsequent decades and century and so on, to quite a large degree, in fact. But The West's Awake, that particular song, has become an anthem for certainly Connacht in the west of Ireland, the province of Connacht, but I do believe it actually stands for more or less all those parts in the west of Ireland especially, uh, including the townland where my own grandmother was born there, which uh, Karina chatted about in the previous letter. And um, I think as a particular upbeat message, I do hope, uh, for the future as well. So that brings us together, or that brings us rather together, to the end of this particular episode uh, called Did Your Irish Ancestor Live Through This Terrible Time? I hope you didn't find it too downbeat because my intention was really to mix, I suppose, some historical facts with a particular personal perspective. And perhaps you could also project onto that, my own perspective, uh, the idea that perhaps some of your ancestors lived through these times and through it all, in some way, shape or form, that line continued down to the present day. So here we are all together. Uh, Okay, so that is it for this week. As always, we'd love if you give us a bit of feedback on whatever form you're in at the moment, especially if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or one of those particular forums where people can see in general what you think of the show. But if you're inside somewhere like the Green Room or some other place, again, please do leave a comment. We'd love to hear you and all the feedback that you provide. So that's it from Karina and that's it from myself, Mike. And it's Slán for me and Slán for Karina until next week. If you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area, the Green Room. You hear us mention it a lot during the show. And you can find full details of the Green Room at letterfromireland.com forward slash Green Room. Our green room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the green room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The green room is the perfect place to be for anybody starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So why don't you come and join us there at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. That's it for me, but I'll be back next time with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. And I really look forward to chatting to you then. Slán Gafol, Karina. <laughs>